This is the Humans of Gaming Podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and beliefs. Hey, Drew Dixon here, Chief Content Nerd at Love Thy Nerd and co-host of Humans of Gaming, here to tell you a little bit about what you're about to listen to. This is the third and final part of our interviews with game designers at Gen Con. These are, of course, board game designers because Gen Con is North America's largest tabletop and board gaming convention. And so there are so many talented and creative people there that are making amazing games that we wanted to sit down with as many of them as possible and chat. And so you'll hear on this episode from Nate from uh, Dice Throne, uh, which is one of our community's favorite games, and Nate's just a wonderful guy to talk to. You'll hear from Henry Audubon, who is making a game, or made a game called Space Park. It's out now, uh, with Keymaster Games, which is a new company that I discovered while at Gen Con, and all their games are, are, are really beautiful. They're, they're gorgeous games, and they're really easy to learn and fun to play. So he made a game called Space Park. Um, I tried to purchase it, but it was sold out. So excited to check that out further. And he actually lives in my hometown, so I'm hoping uh, to hang out with Henry at some point and maybe play some games. So Henry, if you're listening to this, let's let's get together and play some games. Uh, you'll hear from James Hudson, who works with Skybound Entertainment, that recently uh, acquired Druid City Games. So they these guys have made um, Grim Forest, and then they have a new game called Tidal Blades Heroes of the Reef. So next you'll hear from Tim Eisner, who's actually the designer, the, the primary designer on Tidal Blades Heroes of the Reef. And he also made Grim Forest. You'll hear from Danny Lowe, who does marketing for Renegade Games. And you'll hear a little bit about a game I'm pretty excited about that Renegade's publishing called Windake. Uh, you'll hear from Tomas Hernström, uh, who's making the board game version of Crusader Kings. You'll also hear from Evind, uh, who's making a new Europa Universalis game, which is a huge, massive 4X game that's going to come out before before too long, within the next couple years at least. Uh, and I know a lot of people love Europa Universalis, so to play the board game of that uh, should be really cool. Um, you'll hear from Anna Meyer, who actually designs maps for board games and video games and all kinds of things. I think you'll find my interview with her uh, interesting. You'll hear from Bobby West, who works for Haba Games, which is uh, probably hands down my favorite game company that makes games for families and particularly for children. Um, so these guys, you know, Haba, they made uh, Rhino Hero and Rhino Hero Super Battle, and they've got a new game called Dragon's Breath that looks fantastic. I can't wait to get my hands on it. Uh, and then finally, you'll hear from Randy Hoyt, who is making a new game just released called Spy Club that is a, a cooperative um, ga- game that can be played in se- several, there's several um, chapters of it, so you play multiple games, and it's fun to play again, even after you've, you've played through all the chapters, um, but this was a game that sold out super fast at Gen Con, and everybody seems to love it, and I played uh, played a good bit, almost a full game with Randy, and got to chat with him afterward. And uh, yeah, he's just a hardworking, interesting guy who's making great games. I think you'll love it. Um, all these games, basically the game designers we had on these three podcasts are all making fantastic games. Um, I think if you went through and purchased any game on this list of from the designers, you would be really happy with it. Um, and, uh, and not only that, I think if you play any of these games, um, you'll be challenged 
on you know something of a deeper level like you'll get to have experiences with other people that will be meaningful and memorable um so go out there and play games with other people don't play alone uh play with others and i hope you enjoy these interviews we'll see you next time on humans gaming so it's uh nate chatelier yeah cool and where are you from nate uh, I am from Spokane, Washington. Okay, cool. Is that where Manny's from? As yeah, well? we're both okay. from there. The rest of Roxy's from Calgary, okay. uh, but Manny are in, in Spokane. Cool. And so, how'd you guys meet? Uh, at church, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. we did. Yeah. And you both had an interest in board games and stuff. Or? Yeah, you know, we uh, we met at church. We realized we're both just gamers. Uh, we're both. We started making video games together, okay. uh, and then we got laid off from our job. Yeah. And why we were laid off? We both have a passion for board games, and so we created Dice Room during yeah. that Who time. Did, uh, is there a video game you've worked on that I might? Yeah, heard so we uh, used to make mobile games for uh, kids' games for Disney, Pixar, Nickelodeon. Okay. So the last game, I was the lead designer on the launch title for Finding Dory. Was okay. my last game. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And uh, so tell me, give me like a quick pitch for people who haven't heard much about Dice Throne. What, is sure. it, what makes it unique? So Dice Throne is a, it's a cross between Magic the Gathering and King of Tokyo. Um, or some people might call it uh, Battle Yahtzee with a lot more strategy. Yeah. Uh, so you get to roll your dice three times. You use those to activate one of the abilities on your hero. And then you can use cards to upgrade your heroes and manipulate dice. Okay, nice. And uh, if you had to narrow it down to one thing, what do you hope players gain from their time, their experience playing the game together? Yeah, we. so what I, I love Magic the Gathering. I love uh, MOBAs, video games. Uh, there's a lot of games I love that take too much time and too much money. Yeah. And so I wanted to make Dice Throne is kind of all of my favorite things boiled down to something very accessible. Yeah. And so one of the things I like most about Dice Throne is I hear again and again, Dice Throne is a game that I actually play. I have all these games that sit on my shelf that I never play, but Dice Throne, it's so easy to hit to the table. And that's really what I wanted for people, is yeah. them to actually play this game again and again. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. And uh, obviously, it's done really well. A new Kickstarter campaign, right, for yeah. Season 2 and 3? Yeah, okay. so so Season 2 uh, is still in pre-order. If you go to DiceThrone.com, you can pre-order it there. That ships in November. Uh, Manny Trimbley is actually running a solo campaign next month for a graphic novel. Yeah. Uh, and that graphic novel, uh, it will be 100 to 150 pages. Okay. It'll tell you the whole story of Dice Room. Oh, Rome. cool. That's awesome. Uh, and then in probably February-ish, we'll run our Season 3 campaign, which will be a uh, standalone, um, four new standalone heroes and a co-op expansion. Yeah, yeah. So what's the experience like then uh, launching this game, you know, to... I'm sure you had fears like, will this even do well? Will people care about it? And then now, obviously, people really do, and people are really into it. What's that experience been like? Yeah, it was wild. Our first Kickstarter, our goal was 15 grand, and we didn't even know if we would fund. You know, yeah. we had no idea how it was going to do. And and then all of a sudden, it was 40 grand and 60 grand, and we did it 181 grand, and it was mind blowing. Truly, was the experience, and we were just like laugh, like, is this real life? You know, pinch me. And then and then our second. I mean, we sold out twice in our print runs now. We're on our, our third print run. So our second one, we partnered with Roxy because we realized it can't be a two-man team anymore. This is becoming bigger than us. Uh, and then that one, you know, it raised in, in total over $800,000 now. So it's on a whole different scale. And I think to me, the, the coolest thing is to have fans come up to the booth and tell me about how much this has, like, helped their family time together, how often they play it. That's the most rewarding thing. Yeah, cool. I love it. Yeah, that kind of brings me up to my last question. Why do you make games? What drives you to do this? Uh, it's absolutely because I wanted to make a game that I wanted to play and that I could play with my son and my wife. Yeah. And that's part of the accessibility of Dice Room is people who may not even be typical gamers, Yahtzee rules are simple, right? And so the yeah. bar of entry is very low, but someone like me who can't stand 
Like if a game like Bunko, I'm not a Bunko fan. I need more right. strategy yeah. than that, right? So people like me can still have tons of room to strategize and grow. So it can bring all these people together over one game. Yeah, yeah. And you have a teammate. Generally, you can play free for all. Yep. But uh, you have a teammate, so there's those components as well. Yes, exactly. And then you know you have. As I've played it, some I've noticed there's different characters at different levels of complexity to those characters. So I think anybody's going to find a character that they that they can connect with, even if they're not like a like a big time gamer. Which is one, some, one thing I really appreciate about it. But. Yeah, that's exactly right. So Manny's favorite hero is the Barbarian, and that's a complexity one hero, right? Yeah. That doesn't mean the character is weak. He still resonates with that character. Yeah. My favorite is the Shadow Thief. It's a complexity five, right? Yeah. And it's cool that everyone has their hero that they resonate with. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and I appreciate that the effort put into designing characters for different types of gamers. That's uh, a really like player first kind of mentality. Which is cool. It is. In fact, neither of us are hardcore Euro gamers. However, uh, there's a new hero that we co-created with a fan called uh, Charlie Kaminsky and that hero is the Artificer and we jokingly call him our, our Euro gamer hero uh, and he gains scrap every turn he spends scrap to build or upgrade robots then he gains synth and he spends synth to activate these robots and people who love Euro gamers or Euro games will love that hero yeah that's cool that's awesome well I've really enjoyed playing it and I uh, really enjoyed talking to you thanks man Henry Audubon, where are you from? Well, I was born in Ohio, but I grew up in Burlington, Vermont. Cool. And now I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, do you really? Okay, cool. I live in Nashville. Oh, right on. <laughs> well, we should get together and play yeah, some games sometime. Yeah. What part of Nashville? Uh, near the airport. Okay, cool. I'm not far from there. I'm Mount Juliet. So. Oh, cool. There All right. I am. Uh, cool. Well, um, how did you get into making games? I got started making games when I was a little kid, sketching things and being a dungeon master for my neighborhood group of friends and even tinkering with you know, different magic card decks and coming up with variants for that kind of thing. So I always had that in me to kind of explore different games, but I started getting really serious about it about five years ago when I dropped out of my mathematics grad, grad program and decided to just go all in on board game design. And here I am now at Gen Con releasing uh, Space Park, which is my first published game. Yeah, that's cool. Has that uh, mathematics uh, background helped you in game design? Absolutely. It serves me really well. I, I approach things, uh, you know, in a way that allows me to make use of my mathematics uh, tool set. And I try to think of things on a very systems level and try to understand kind of some of the mathematical uh, patterns underlying the, the designs that I'm working on. So that yeah. really helps me a lot, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. And is Space Park your first uh, published game? Yeah, yeah, exactly, it is. And so give us the quick pitch. What is uh, Space Park and what makes it unique? Well, Space Park is a board game about riding rockets to explore the galaxy and visit extraordinary destinations. It's a game with really quick turns, and what you do on a turn is simply choose a, to visit a destination that has a rocket on top of it. So when you set up the board, there's seven destinations in a ring, and three rockets are scattered across the board. And so you just pick to, a destination to visit that has a rocket, you take the action associated with that destination, and then after you're done taking the action, the rocket that was there moves along to the next available space in a kind of clockwise orbit around the board. So as players are taking turns, these rockets are in, this, in flux and shuffling around and changing the options that the other players have. Yeah, yeah so it's kind of, um, uh, I think, uh, when he, Matt, one of your associates, uh, described it as kind of an introduction to worker placement to a degree. Like, like it, like you learn some basic worker placement mechanics in a way that I think is really accessible. Is that fair to say? 
Uh, I wouldn't. Or maybe he didn't describe it that way. I don't want to get him in trouble, but no, that's how right. I interpreted it anyway. Nobody's in trouble. Okay. I wouldn't describe it that way unless, I mean, you're really willing to tolerate a big twist to worker placement because unlike worker placement, the, uh, the, if you want to consider the rockets the workers, they're actually representing where you can go to take actions. Uh, so it's kind of an inversion where normally in worker placement you're visiting empty spaces. But it did come about, uh, in terms of the design process of the game, it did come about from thinking about why worker placement is so robust as a design pattern and, and what it offers. And uh, one of the changes that I wanted to make in thinking about you know, what other forms of action selection systems are there besides worker placement was thinking, well, what if instead of having this wide open board like worker placement has that eventually gets whittled down as more and more workers are placed, what if instead we just had a situation where there are neutral pieces on the board and they're not being picked up or put down, but rather they're just shifting around. And so the kind of possibility space or what actions are available to a player is just changing from turn to turn, but not necessarily expanding or contracting. So. When I like that, uh, I like that idea because I do think there, for some people, if you've never played a worker placement game in, in particular, like they can feel intimidating. And this feels very inviting and very like accessible, but there's still quite a bit of strategy to it. Is that, is that something that motivates you to like take, um, make things easy for people to learn? Like, Yeah, that's really important to yeah. me. I mean, as somebody who, I, in my group, I mean, I am the one with the board game collection and I'm the yeah. one who's having to teach people and I'm, having the one, I'm the one who's having to get people on board to play things. And so I'm very sensitive to that friction that those of us who have board game collections and play with non-gamers often feel of like actually getting something to the table yeah. and how intimidating it can be to have 20 minutes of rules and a two-hour game and all these things. So I try to create designs that are just easy to get to the table and can be enjoyed with by mixed audiences of gamers and non-gamers, older people and younger people, and just all, all types of folks I like to get involved in, in my games. So. That's great. Cool. What have you learned from your experience publishing your first game? That collaboration can really level up a project. Because when I first submitted my design and it got it, uh, picked up by Keymaster Games, I thought it was pretty good. And, and you know, maybe it was good on some level, but yeah. through collaborating with those guys, uh, they really elevated the work. And now, you know, it's, it's been a team effort, and the game has come a long way from where it was, and I think it's a lot better than where it was. So yeah. the value of collaboration, I would say, is yeah. one lesson I, I'm taking away from this. Yeah, that's great. Uh, one last question I like to ask designers is, why do you make games? What drives you to do this? I think games are a really exciting kind of media right now. I mean, literature is so well understood. Music, you can get a four-year degree and go so deep into music theory and even beyond a four-year degree, obviously. But And film, we know so much about it. But games feel like there's all this low-hanging fruit in terms of these concepts that we don't yet understand. We're trying to map out this space and get a sense of what games are all about. So to me, there's this energy and excitement around games right now where people are, people are really trying to understand what's going on with them, and I don't think our understanding is that deep yet. Yeah. So to me, that's exciting, of getting involved at, a, like games are having a moment, especially tabletop games. I mean, they're, the cultural perception of tabletop gaming is certainly changing, the industry is growing, and I think from the perspective of just game design as a craft and kind of the scholarship surrounding games, I think that is bound to really grow as well. And so what I'm excited about is seeing where 
where game design heads in the next, in the coming years. I can't wait to see what game designers do in the next 10, 20 years. And I just want to be a part of that progression of just pushing it forward and seeing what's possible with games. So that's what excites me about doing game design. Excellent. Cool. Well, uh, Space Park looks great. I got to play it a little bit yesterday and had a lot of fun with it. Uh, it's out now, right? Or, or when it, will it be available to so people the, outside Gen Con anyway? Yeah, so in September, that's when the boats are here and the Kickstarter backers are getting their copies. And then it, after they get their copies, it'll start being sold at local game stores and you can pick it up online. What we have here is just a limited quantity of games at Gen Con that's a pre-release just to build some excitement for the, the wider release in, at the beginning of September. Awesome. Great. Well, can't wait to, to check it out more. Thanks. Yeah, but not in my group. What is Spotlight? Uh, Board Game Spotlight is just a, it's just a Facebook group. It's just okay. a community of people that want to circle around board gaming and the intent initially was hey, this board games are supposed to bring us together right not drive us apart and so when we see you know those 200 comment threads where people are just like bashing each other and calling names like so the troll behavior we we shut down there and it's it's a it's a safe place to come hang out and just enjoy board gaming yeah that's cool nice cool and uh yeah so um tell us about your lineup here at gencon Oh gosh, the lineup here at Gen Con. So we're we most people will give me the highlights, I guess, of the Grim Forest. Yeah, we That's know what Grim we're Forest, coming on yeah. for. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we've got games coming down the line. We got Guardians Call that's delivering soon. Okay. We've got Sorcerer City that finished up on Kickstarter that it'll be uh, delivering in January. We've got a new game called The Grim Masquerade. It's a thematic follow-up hidden identity card game okay. uh, in the Grim Forest universe. Yeah. And then we've got our big monstrosity of a yeah. board game coming that you guys are actually waiting to probably talk to Tim about. Yeah. It's called Tidal Blades. Yeah. It's coming to Kickstarter in September. Worker placement, dice tech tree, dials on your player board, asymmetric powers. Yes, I know. I just checked a whole bunch all of boxes the, all for the people. <laughs> but it, they all work together, and it's yeah. pretty amazing. That's cool. Yeah. Cool. And there's a whole, like, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but Tim worked with some some uh, some writers to create this whole world, yeah. uh, so like story and Mr. world. For the game. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Mr. Cunnington, the artist who did Grim Forest and Santorini and Brass yeah. and some of those other games that people may know. Yeah, yeah. They they really wanted their they're writers yeah. and they're creators, and they didn't really want to take an assignment anymore. They wanted to create their own world. Yeah. And so we actually gave them two games. This is actually part one. Okay. And game two is an, like an adventure board game where yeah. it's campaign based and we get to see the narrative of this world really play itself out. But our first game, Title Blades, introduces you to the four characters. Okay, nice. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. And Mr. Cunnington, they're like, they're unbelievably talented. Like, yeah, it's yeah. insane. Yeah. Like, I don't even think they know how talented they are. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think that was. Uh, really yes. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah, I've heard good things about their work. Like I know they're like super accomplished. And, yeah. yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, they're and they're just really good humans, which yeah. is also awesome. Like, yeah, I'm I'm actually gravitated to work toward. Like I've I've passed on working with other people too, just because I've had some interactions with them. Like I love working with teams that are like we enjoy working together. Yeah. Uh, because we're not in corporate America. We don't have. Like this is a more of a passion community, so yeah. it's really fun to work with people that are passionate and really love their their yeah their ilk. Yeah, that's great. That's yeah, cool, man. awesome.
Hey, Drew Dixon from Love by Nerd here with Tim Eisner, who is the designer of Tidal Blades Heroes of the Reef. Uh, Tim, also, you also designed Grim Forest. I did. Am I missing some other things? Uh, I designed March of the Ants and uh, Dungeon Hustle. Cool. Yeah, so uh, we just got a look at this. It looks beautiful. Uh, it's not out yet. About to launch a Kickstarter pretty soon, right? Yep, end of September. There'll be a Kickstarter launched by Druid City Games. We've got a Facebook page if you want to sign up there to get all the information about it. Um, so, yeah, it'll be coming out uh, on Kickstarter soon, next yeah. month. Cool. And, yeah, so give me the quick pitch because I know... Uh, there's a lot of mechanical elements to this but, that are interesting, but also you've built a really, um, you know, you've worked with some other writers to build a really intricate world around this that, that players can really dive into, yeah. So. so, yeah, one of the great things about this project is uh, I'm the designer with my brother Ben Eisner, and I've made all, you know, done the mechanics, but working on it from the beginning, we've been working with Mr. Cuttington, which is a husband-wife team of artists, and they did all the world building, created all the sort of back background and narrative and storylines and all the characters, and so we've been doing testing with them and sort of developing it hand in hand, and they've just created this beautiful, stunning game and the world, the setting, and so it's been really great to bring that to life. So in the game, each player is a young hero, and you are competing in a tournament to become be named a Tidal Blade, which is a elite guard of the island realm where you live. You've got to sort of ward off the threat of the sea monsters. So you're competing in all these uh, tournaments to build up your character strength and also gain renown so you can be named a Tidal Blade. Yeah, excellent. And uh, so if you had to narrow it down to one thing that you hope players gain from their experience playing your game, what would it be? Um, I think what I want people to gain is uh, the sense of the, the of being that character and growing as in their strength and sort of being able to explore different paths that their character grows through and being because your character can develop along different lines, gaining different powers, which let them explore the game in different ways. Yeah. And you've incorporated a lot of different elements. There's uh, some dice element, dice rolling, uh, kind of uh, binge your luck kind of elements, but then there's also worker placement. Um, and, and you're, you're battling some enemies and that kind of thing. So yeah, give me um, how, or maybe share how you've incorporated all these in a, in a way that's not overwhelming to players. Definitely. So the central element is the sort of, or one of the central mechanics is the worker placement. So each turn you're going to move your character to one of the action spaces. And from there you're getting various things that you can do. Based on where you take your action, you complete you can complete a challenge in that location. Each location has an arena, so if you have that card, you can uh, complete that challenge. So your, your decisions are really informed by what cards you have in your hand and how you're building up your character. And then with that, the challenges are the dice rolling, so they, all the things sort of follow on top of each other. So there's a nice sequence to the game and the timing element of which challenges you're signing up for, where you're taking the actions, and then which challenges you're completing, which then unlock different possibilities. So it's really about the sequence of events and trying to lay that out in a way for players where they have options, but it's also not just totally open or overwhelming amount. Yeah, great. And, uh, you know, you could have made a lot of different games, and obviously you've made some different games in the past. Yep. Why this one? What, 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 what you know, spoke to you about, I have to make this game? Um, so... It really came out of working with Mr. Cuttington. They I, they did the art for Grim Forest, and it was fantastic working with them. And James Hudson, the publisher of Grim Forest, sort of got us all together and was like, let's work on a game together. Let's make this from the ground up. And so just talking to them and feeling about the world, it was like, well, these will be a nice way to represent these characters and to explore, you know, not necessarily like the normal character building of a 
you know, like a D&D setting or something like that, but to explore that through worker placement where you have a little more attachment to your own personal character and their story. Yeah, great. And the last question I like to ask designers is why do you make games? What drives you to do this? Uh, it's really fun. It's super stimulating, the puzzle of it, creating it, and just sort of tinkering with all those questions that come up in the game. It's like playing games, but magnified because you're then creating the experience that other players are going to do, and then having published games is so sad, so wonderful. Just seeing people playing it, enjoying it, and you know, talking about it is is just it, it's excellent. Awesome, great. Well, it looks fantastic. Uh, we'll be looking for the Kickstarter in September, and. Uh, yeah, be sure to, to check out, uh, you guys, you have a website, right? Uh, we are on Facebook, there's a Title Blades Facebook page, and then okay. you can also check out Druid City Games, uh, we'll right. have all the information there. Great, yeah, check that out, be looking forward to it in September, and that's it for us here at GymCon. Uh, so Danny, tell me your role with uh, Renegade. I'm the marketing manager at Renegade. Cool, yeah. And uh, tell me, like, is there, if you had to, is there any kind of thing that unifies the games that you guys make at Renegade? What, what would that be? What, what, what is the goal of the, for the types of games that you, you guys produce? So we try to make really attractive and really accessible games. We started with Lanterns and Lotus, which are family friendly. Yeah. And we've kind of grown and expanded past that to include RPGs and Euros and miniatures games now. But we still try to make them fun and beautiful and not too complicated, not overwhelming. So yeah. like our longest game is two hours. It's not an intense four hour endeavor that's going to take you all night. But cool. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and then tell me about, uh, you know, we, we just looked at uh, several games, but give me like the quick pitch on what is Windake and what makes it unique. Windake is an action selection and territory control game. It's a Euro that focuses on a lot of things. The super unique thing about it is how you select your action. So you've got a three by three grid, and by the end of your turn, you need to have selected your actions in a way that makes a straight line. So diagonally, horizontally, vertically. Those actions will flip over and be exhausted, so you have to plan ahead for future yeah. rounds. Then all of the tiles will slide down. The bottom, the, the bottom row will be mixed up and put back onto the top. So there's a lot of new things each round. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then we also looked at uh, Spell Smashers, which is a fun, unique, new mm -hmm. spelling game. Yeah. Uh, give me the quick pitch on that one as well. That's a word spelling monster fighting game in which you're using cards in your hand to spell words, attacking monsters to get loot. Um, but what I think is super fun is when the monsters hit you back, you have to draw wound cards that utilize, um, that give you for better or worse, interesting combinations of letters. So I-N-G, E-D, E-N-T. So yeah. things that will be powerful and probably give you a better word, but are difficult to use. Yeah. So it's clever. And is that one out yet? Spell Smashers releases in October. Okay, okay, cool. And then uh, Windake, you said, just came out this week, right? Yeah, it released on Wednesday, so August 1st. Okay, great. And then we also looked at Dragon Tea, or the Tea Dragon Society, yeah. which is pretty unique. Mm -hmm. uh, give me the quick pitch on that one as well. Introductory deck builder in which you're taking care of a baby tea dragon. Um, yeah. It's inspired by a graphic novel of the same name, um, yeah. so it kind of follows the story. Uh, you draw a card, play a card, um, play over four seasons. So four rounds, whoever has the most points wins. Okay, cool. And uh, if, if you had to narrow it down to one thing that you hope players, I know all these games are kind of diverse, it's probably hard to answer this question, but, but 
the the games that Renegade produces, if you had to narrow it down to one thing that you hope players gain from their time with your games, what would it be? Well, we want them to have a good experience with other players. So we want them to have fun, connect with other people, and play again. Yeah. And uh, another thing I like to ask people in the games industry is, why do you make games? What what drives you to be a part of this industry? It's fun. <laughs> we like making fun um, and adding good experiences to the to the community. So like with Windake, it's an excellent game and it was also very thoughtful. The designer put a lot of research into the theme and the history behind the theme. Um, so we like to support things like that. Yeah, excellent. Cool. Well, thanks so much. Andrew Dixon from Love Thy Nerd here with Thomas Herrenstam. I think I said that somewhat correctly. Oh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> and you are one of the designers or the, the lead designer of the new Crusader Kings board game, right? That's true, yeah. I'm the lead designer. We have a design team for it, but I'm sort of, you know, in charge of it all. Yeah. And so Crusader Kings, I think a lot of people or a lot of our audience will be familiar with the computer game. Tell us about what makes the board game unique. Well, I mean, what we really want to do is to capture that feel of Crusader Kings, the computer game, that all that medieval juicy drama, all the character, the, the story, the, the intrigue. But we have to condense it down into a tabletop game that you can actually play in just a, a single evening, uh, whereas the computer game can take hundreds of hours. So that's been you know, the real focus and the real challenge to keep that essence but boil it down to, to a more manageable, streamlined format. So that's really what we're doing in this board game. Yeah, that's cool. And I know the computer game is kind of known in some sense for the really, like, juicy, um, you know, medieval, uh, awful moral decisions and things. How are you introducing that, that feeling into a tabletop experience? Yeah. Through different methods. I mean, like, for example, in this game, like in the computer game, you will have, you will marry, you will have children, and that's really important because you need to grow your dynasty and grow its power. And, and in, the, in the game, just like in the computer game, your old characters, your, your wife or your spouse or your children will have traits. And those traits will influence your, uh, what you can do in the game. And if you end up with an with a, an heir next in line to take over the throne with uh, the lunatic trait or something like that, that's really not something that you want to do because that's going to hurt you in the long game. So then you put it in a position there where you might want to do something to make sure that bastard son or that lunatic heir doesn't inherit the throne. You can send him off to the crusades, even kill him off if you really need to. So you get those kinds of decisions going just like in the computer game. Yeah, that's great. And uh, if you had to say one thing or narrow it down to one thing, what do you hope players gain from their experience playing Crusader Kings, the, the tabletop game? What I really hope is that more people that... I mean, the computer game is an, is, is an awesome game, but it can be quite hard to get into. It's quite intimidating to get all of that. Here it's uh, presented, you get much of that same cool stuff in a manageable format so and you can also play it you know i love analog games i love the computer games but also my true passion are analog games and to get that experience over the table playing with your friends is uh is i think getting that ck experience in this in this way i think is uh, the core of this game and uh one last game i like to ask designers is why do you make games what drives you to to make board games 
I, I love board games specifically because I love the fact that we also do tabletop role-playing games. So what and 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 I love board games that have a lot of story that drive narrative. I don't usually play to win so much. I play to experience the story to create a narrative together. And in a board game, you can really do that. You can and you can do it. You can see all the parts moving. In a computer game, it's often hidden behind code that you don't see. Here, you see everything and you can interact with everything to create that story that you want to create together with your friends. That's what I like. Great, great. Well, the game looks fantastic, and I know you just had a Kickstarter for it, right? When can uh, people expect to see it? Yeah, uh, we had a, we kickstarted it. That Kickstarter is over, but we just opened up for late pledges, so you can still get on the Kickstarter right now if you want to. Uh, for backers, we'll get it around the end of the year, and it will probably hit stores, but that's going to take a few extra months. So if you want to get in on it early, now's the time. Well, we're looking forward to it. It was uh, fantastic looking at it. Thanks for your time, Thomas. Thank you. Yeah. Dixon with Love Thy Nerd here with Ivan Vetlison, and he is the lead designer of a brand new board game coming out relatively soon, hopefully, called uh, Europa Universalis. So tell us, give us the quick pitch. What is Europa Universalis and what makes it unique? Uh, well, for those of you who don't know the computer game, Europa Universalis is a um, massive strategy game, a 4X game where you can uh, colonize, you can explore, you can wage wars, you can uh, involve yourself in diplomatic relations with all the nations of the world in the historical period of 1444, that's the end of the Middle Ages, until 1821, Napoleonic Wars. So it takes uh, place during the age of uh, uh, exploration, the age of enlightenment, the age of revolutions, and uh, spans... Uh, yeah, a great section of European history and also world history. Yeah, yeah. yeah and uh, I didn't realize when we were talking about the game earlier that uh, there was a board game that preceded the computer game. Is that, that, that right? That's right. I believe it was uh, published in uh, 1993. French game designer uh, Thibault, I can't remember his name right now. Uh, and um, I don't know that game all that well, to be honest, but it was, let's say, a game of the previous generation of games. So it's a very, very epic game and line of World in Flames where you could play for more than 100 hours. I've heard 300 hours. Not sure if it's entirely true, but maybe. So what you're setting out to do with the new game is a little bit more accessible, right? We're going to make it a lot more accessible. Uh, so that means we're, uh, we're looking at the computer game. We're looking at uh, translating the spirit of the computer game and... Uh, and also the, the feeling that you can do all the stuff in a way that you can do in a computer game, uh, sort of like a sandbox uh, 4X game where you can kind of uh, make history go in a totally different direction than what it really did. Uh, and uh, we want it to be playable in uh, for some of the smaller scenarios, one and a half to two hours, and for the grand campaign, about six hours. And how do you balance... Uh making a game that's compelling and fun with also your goal of something that feels historically rooted and accurate? Uh, well, I would say it's playtesting, 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 really, and uh, getting feedback from a lot of people, uh, people, uh, both people who are uh, uh, deeply involved with the computer game uh, and has that knowledge, but also people who hasn't played the computer game because, uh, you know, 
we would want people that haven't played a computer game but are interested in that type of board gaming uh, to be able to play the game as well and feel that they get a full experience from it. So uh, it's listening to the feedback and uh, trying to uh, translate uh, the things that make sense from the computer game in a board game context. And obviously that means simplifying a lot of the mechanics uh, and looking at completely different mechanics uh, that make sense. Uh, and we don't, don't want it to be uh, you know, a game where you sit there having to calculate a lot of uh, odds or something like that. We want it to be immediately uh, clear what the results are of the actions that you do. Yeah. If you had to narrow it down to one thing that you hope players gain, that they get out of the experience of playing Europa Universalis, what would it be? Well, I, uh, you know, I, I hope they kind of get into the that um, role of ruling an empire and uh, getting that ambition of making your empire grow and also maybe to evoke some historical interest in uh, the gamers that play, you know, uh, maybe they would go back and actually look a bit at the history books of what actually happened. Uh, and certainly some of the events that we will include in the game will have the flavor of real history. Uh, although it's not any way railroaded, it will still have like a historical uh, inspiration at least. Um, did that answer your question? Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, last question I want to ask is, why do you make games What drives you to do this? Well, mostly because I think uh, gaming is the most fun thing to do uh, so I'm a board game fan myself you know I play a lot of board games uh, and I have played a lot of board games since I was a kid um, and um, well you always uh, well I, I think it's um, just something that you know you see a game and you, you like some aspects of that game and you like some aspects of another game and you start thinking maybe if I combine the, these two things into one we will get a game that was that would be even more fun to play or uh, give you a different experience and starting from that you know uh, and then you have some ideas and you, maybe you have a theme that you want to explore and uh, and you merge that with some ideas with some for some mechanics uh, that you feel might be a little bit original uh, or the combination would be something that people haven't seen before um, yeah uh, so I, I would like the first thing is I wouldn't want to make a game that I don't want to play myself. I want to make a game that I would feel uh, is fun to play. Uh, I do maps. I do maps of places that don't exist for novels, role-playing games, and sometimes even video games and stuff. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you give me some examples of some maps you've done or things? Uh, I've done for Cobalt Press, uh, for Southlands, Midgard. Uh, I've done for some uh, Hans Cummings for his books. And those are the latest ones. And a Greyhawk is the one that I kind of became famous for or infamous or at least slightly known for. So okay, yeah. Cool. Mm -hmm. How did you get into that? Uh, I used to had it as a hobby for like 20 years, more than 20 years. And then I moved to California and I realized I needed something to do. So I started doing it full time and finished it. And then other publishers started to take note. And now I do it basically full time. Yeah. What do you? Uh, what what drives you to do that? Like what 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 keeps you going in that hobby? And it's basically I'm, I love to game and role play like 
most most gamers do and I guess almost every gamer want to do something they want to work with it so to speak yeah. and there are so many people who do monsters write stories and, and do characters and, and so on and I realized I'm not as good as any of the other ones at that most there are designers who could do that way better than me but maps became my thing yeah. and and so and terrain and, and so on I done a lot of landscape photography I've been a pilot so I've seen the, the, the view from the earth from above so I kind of combine the, my visual interest of landscape my experience in it and my role paints in order yeah. to, to create maps so yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so uh, I think my friend Alex was telling me you were in the Air Force is that right yeah I worked a little bit yeah, and okay. fiddle around a bit yep. yeah mm -hmm. still fly planes no, I, no it's only simulators and, and oh, okay. I have some neighbors who still fly so I go with them a bit yep okay, mm -hmm. cool. yeah yeah. So, um, what what do you hope players gain from you know their experience with the games and things that you create? What do you have a sense of that? Yeah, I think my game, my maps will be more of a kind of an inspiration. I want maps that are detailed enough so a GM can kind of get a, and players can get a feel what the country actually looks like. Where is a good spot for an orc ambush or or what the countryside looks like? Both to to inspire for more adventures to and random encounters and stuff like that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cool. And uh, one last question I like to ask people in the industry: uh, What keeps you going doing this? What What motivates you? It's it's the kind of the the. Um, I get the feedback you get. So it's a bit like, I guess, a musician. You go on stage and all of a sudden you have people cheering and, and so on. And you get that kind of feedback that people like what you do. Yeah. That's uh, something that a lot of people in a lot of jobs, you never get that that kind of feedback and that satisfaction. And you go here and, and people have said, oh, I love your work. It's like yeah. when, you, when you have that or someone sends you an email and, and you love that, that's way more kind of fulfilling and, and that, than paycheck. Paycheck is awesome to get, but... But to get kind of real reward that way, that that's yeah. fantastic. So that drives me a lot. That yeah. that the you can you can make other people have fun, yeah. and that that's that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's great. Well, thanks so much, Anna. Oh, nice to meet you. Thank yeah. you. Drew Dixon from Love Thy Nerd here at Gen Con with Bobby West of Haba Games, and he just showed us some really cool games. Yeah, tell us about your lineup. Yeah, so we have a, a couple of brand new games coming out this year in sort of the Family family Plus level. Um, a Quazu, which is an area control hand management game that has a really cool uh, sliding board mechanism. Uh, after you score around, you slide the board over so it reveals new sections of the board. Uh, that's been really fun. And that, that's you know a family plus level, so it's a little bit more strategy. Plays in about 45 minutes with two players. Uh, Crew of the Card game, which is really exciting. It's a six-player out-of-the-box game, similar to regular Kruba. We were trying to get adventurers of the color to their uh, color temple, um, but there's direct player interaction with the numbers. So the total numbers on the card, uh, whoever is the lowest in the round, will have to discard one of the cards. So if I play. Um, a 10 and you play a 12, I'll have to discard one of my cards. Uh, and that's that's been really fun. It adds a nice little twist to Karuba, which has been one of our best-selling games. So um, adding the player interaction and having the six player out of the box is really nice. Plus it comes in a nice little square box, so it's easily portable. It also does store in the regular Karuba box. You could you know save some shelf space if you wanted to. Um, in that same box size, Karuba, or I'm sorry, Konex, which is a uh, abstract strategy card game. And King of Dice, which is a Yahtzee-style set collection game. And those are both, again, in that little family, family plus line. A little bit more strategy involved. 
a little bit more complicated rules, but not you know not crazy for Hobbit. We're not talking about long half hour, hour Euro games. So um, those are sort of the new ones we're showing here. We we had um, Dragon's Breath earlier, which won the the Kinderspiel this year, but we sold out of it, so uh, we don't have any of that to show. But that's also been a big release for us at the show as well. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about uh, a quick pitch about Dragon's Breath. Yeah, so it's a um, uh, betting game for kids. There, there's a column of ice, which are uh, crystal crystal clear blue rings stacked in the middle, filled with gems, and every round you're going to melt the top ring. Um, you're trying to guess what you think is going to fall out as far as the gems go and collect those colors. So each round you'll take one of the five colored tokens, that's what color you think is going to fall out the most of because you're trying to collect the most of them. You'll lift the top ring up and then whatever colors fall off, whatever you have as your token, you'll collect that color. So if I choose yellow, you choose purple, he chooses red, I'll take all the yellow, you take all the purple, you take all the red. We reset back, start player passes, they get first pick at the tokens, we lift up a new ring, start a new round. Um, there's a younger variant where you just give them a color, so I would just give you blue, you just give me red, those are my colors for the whole game. Uh, so we're not having to make decisions about what colors we think are going to fall off. And then I like the two player variant where I give you two and you give me two, so we're trying to leave each other the least uh, valuable two in the tower. So it scales up a little bit, but that's more for... Uh, four and up or so. The younger variant, you could probably play down to three, um, and it plays in about 10, 15 minutes. What would you say kind of unites all your games here at Haba? Because in my mind, like, one of the things I appreciate, I have kids, and, and I play your games with my kids, sure. and that's one of the things I appreciate about about Haba is that I feel like um, they're at there's uh, a little bit more intentionality to the way you guys design with, yeah. with families and children in mind? Absolutely. I, I think a lot of it is we have sort of educational leaning games, not that they're overtly teaching you, but they're simple to understand with really simple concepts, but they have like a through line of being, uh, of learning something, or ab the, whether that's the abstract games or the, the light area control games. We're, we're sort of building you up into bigger and more complex games as you go through. Like the my very first line is all about... Um, play first and then building into actual the, the game, you know, rolling dice, taking turns, that kind of thing. And sort of as you progress around in the uh, ages of our games, it kind of goes more like that, where we're introducing slightly more complicated mechanics, slightly more complicated mechanics, building up into games like a quasi, which is, you know, a, a pretty meaty strategy game, but still light for families and simple turns. So really simple turn structures, a little bit of education, chunky wooden components, those are sort of the staples of Habo that I would say. What do you hope uh, families and players gain from their time with your games? Yeah, well, especially in the in the my very first line. I mean, we have families come up to us all the time saying, oh, "I didn't realize there were even games that played down to two years old," and and a lot of them just like setting the game up and putting the game away as the kid does. So they're not even playing the game at the moment. They're just learning the aspects of putting a game up, putting it down, and then again building into those uh, game mechanics. So people have come over and said they started on the my very first games and moved around all the line and now they're playing the krubas and the adventure lands the the harder games for us in that line so it, it, it's great to hear when those those kind of stories come up so yeah last question i like to ask people in the game industry why do you make games what drives you yeah i, I think it's to be able to unite those those families you know again people don't know that there's even games that play down to two years old so being able to fill that gap and facilitate some education and bringing families together to play or just friends together to play. I mean, that, that's that's what it all comes down to for us. Well, Haba has some fantastic games. I love them. I play them with my kids. So definitely check out their, their lineup. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Bobby. Thank you. Yeah.
Welcome here with Randy Hoyt, and you're with Foxtrot Games. And uh, yeah, so you've just put out Spy Club, which we just demoed. Uh, yeah, give me the quick pitch on Spy Club, what makes it unique. All right, Spy Club is a cooperative game for two to four players. You're playing young detectives solving neighborhood mysteries. It's got hand management and set collection, so you're going to be trying to gather cards that will reveal the uh, answers to this mystery. So, you know, you might find that in your neighborhood that your neighbor is stolen something from the ice cream shop, but yeah. what and why? So you're going to be trading cards. The cards are double-sided, so on your turn you'll be taking actions to flip them over, find new clues yeah. on the back, trading them, confirming them as evidence, and all that. Try to find the answers to these mysteries. Each game takes about 45 minutes to play, and it's got a campaign format where you can play five games connected together to tell a larger yeah. story. And after you finish a game, you're going to unlock some new content, you know, four, five, six cards from our gigantic campaign deck. Mm -hmm. It has 40 different modules in it, and uh, over the course of a campaign, you'll play four new modules that'll yeah. mix up the game, add some new objective scenarios, character abilities, equipment, those kinds of things. Yeah. And when you finish, you can put it all back in and start again, and you can play 10 campaigns before you'll have seen all of the variable content. Everybody's campaign will be different, with unique and uh, personal stories emerging each time. Yeah, that's cool. And thematically, it kind of uh, goes back to like your childhood days when you were hanging out with your buddies and like pretending there was a crime to solve yeah. in your neighborhood, yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, we're pretty uh, ambiguous about if these crimes are really happening or not, so the yeah. players have a lot of agency and we really drew on that yeah. inspiration from the books that kids don't even know what the crimes are. And yeah. in this game, people often ask us, well, why do you have to figure out the crime? And so, well, that ties back to the yeah. those books where they're just wandering around, oh, right. here's a feather. I, I wonder if this is suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> and they often do end up yeah. breaking these like pretty big crime rings in their yeah. towns. Yeah. Uh, and the campaign structure goes back to the episodic nature of those series. You know, you'll read a book and it's standalone, but they'll keep going and they'll keep bringing back characters and, you know, a character will get a dog in book three and then that dog now is uh, with him for the rest. Like, Nate the Great's one of my favorites yeah. from when I was a kid and he gets his dog in one of the yeah. in one of the stories and that dog is in with him for the rest of the stories. Yeah. So. That's cool. You said that it's, so it's, there's a campaign and uh, you can... Uh, play that campaign over again, mm -hmm. so multiple times. So, uh, what do you what do your players gain from their experience playing, you know, m multiple times, even like that? Yeah. So, I mean, some of the fun of the game is the story that emerges. So, you'll figure out that your neighbor did something, and then a few turns later, you'll find out that it was at the cabin, and then yeah. a few turns later, you'll find out there was a watch somehow involved, and so. This emergent storytelling is something we really wanted to explore in this game. You know, storytelling in board games is really growing. More and more games are having narratives, um, but a lot of these are, you know, they're story reading games. The yeah. designers will write a story and tell it to you. Uh -huh. um, and we really wanted to explore: could we put together a system that would let players tell the story? And so the whole, the way the story emerges in the game and the way the campaign emerges over yeah. time, we. We want people to get that delight in the story. So many yeah. authors that I've read, when they write their stories, they they talk about it as if they discovered a story. Not that they created it, but that they yeah. discovered it. And there's something about human creativity that when things start, the pieces start snapping together, yeah. a story feels, even though you're making it, as if it came from somewhere. And we want players to have that experience. Yeah. And we see That's that cool. a lot of people are like, oh, oh, I know what it is, yeah. after they get their fourth or fifth aspect. Right. So, uh, and to be able to do that, now, a lot of people don't want to sit down and just tell a story together, they want to play a game. So we've got the mechanics in there, and the storytelling is sprinkled throughout, especially over the campaign, where you solve yeah. one new thing each session. 
And so even though you're playing a mechanics-driven game, that sprinkle of story just sort of can't help but come out. Even people that don't want to tell a story in one game, over the course of a campaign, they just can't help it. Because it's right. like, well, we learned the ice cream shop in our last session, and now I've got the cake clue card in my hand, and people just start to make yeah. those connections. So yeah, that delight and surprise as they tell their own or discover their own stories. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. And uh, you said you're from Dallas, Texas? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. I live so in Dallas. So where you grew up? Or? Uh, no, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. I okay. uh, moved down to the Oklahoma area when I was in high school. So I've been oh, down okay. in the burning heat. of. Where this, in Oklahoma uh, did you live? Uh, Tulsa. Okay, cool. All okay. my family is originally from Oklahoma. Oh, nice. Like Ponca City, um, okay. Blackwell. Yeah, nice. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. We've been in Dallas since college, so yeah. we've been there. Yeah, I grew up in Amarillo, but my family's originally <laughs> from Oklahoma. But nice. Anyway, so I know that area. I live in Nashville now, so not yeah. anywhere close to there anymore. Yeah. But, but yeah, yeah. cool. Uh, what drives you to make games? Why do you do this? I mean, I've had so much fun playing games throughout my life, and I know that I know the fun, the joy, the delight, the surprise, the tension, the angst, and just what games can do to you as a person. Even though you take a game out, play it, put it back just the way it was, it changes you. The experience you have with other people, yeah. the experience you have with the story, the mechanics in the game can really alter you. Games can teach you, games can delight you, and as a player, for mo most of my life, I've had that experience, and, uh, you know, at one point I decided to try to start making games, and as I started making more, when Kickstarter uh, came out and people started funding their own games with Kickstarter, yeah. I thought I'd give that a try as an entrepreneur, as a life experience, you know, as a one-time, yeah. like, let's say I did it, but just, it is so satisfying to give that experience to other people, yeah. the experience that I spelled for so much of my life. I mean, so many stories from the games. I mean, the one that still hits home the most, uh, a woman was posting pictures, her mom was in the hospital, and they were all very scared about what would happen. She ended up being fine, but during the time she was there, they were very scared. And our second game, Lanterns, the Harvest Festival, has a very nice, calming experience. Players yeah. are competing, but there's benefits are happening for all the players and all yeah. the turns. And she just posted on Board Game Geek about how much it meant to her that she had lanterns to play with her mom in the hospital and to help calm them and help them through that time. And just so many stories of people playing yeah. your games. It's just, it's so thrilling to be able to give those experiences to other people. That's, cool. That's awesome. Yeah, well, thanks so much for, uh, for, for meeting with me and showing me Spy Club. It's out now. Correct, yeah. Uh, it's, it's been out for a couple of weeks. Uh, we had it here at Gen Con, sold out on the first day. So yeah. that's all very good yeah, news. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. What's that been like, seeing the reception? Oh, it's been great. I mean, we ran a Kickstarter for it, and so we've got, you know, hundreds of people playing it. And just, yeah. just to see people coming in, uh, people who weren't quite sure how the campaign would work or what that would add to the experience, really just saying, oh, I get how this works. This is really... You know, I played a campaign with my gaming buddies. I played another campaign with my kids. Yeah. I'm three campaigns in and really enjoying all the twists and surprises. Cool. And yeah. people asking questions. It's so fun. And people ask a question about a module. Yeah. And other people will give them strategy tips. Like other people who have played the same module. Yeah. And like, oh, yeah, that's okay. You should go try this. And right. it's, just, it's just so fun and delightful to see people responding cool. so well. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much, Randy. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. You have been listening to Humans of Gaming, a production of Love Thy Nerd. If you have enjoyed the show, don't forget to like, rate, and review the show wherever you may be listening. Don't forget to check out our other show, Free Play, featuring discussions of complete randomness involving gaming, community, and whatever hosts Bubba Stalkup 
Matt Warmbier, and Kate Katawaki deem worthy of your earbuds. Theme music by Jay Tholen and used by permission.